You're listening to the SIL Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 55, The Undefinable Spirit, Reading and Rolling with Lindsay Shaw. Surrounded by stories serene and sublime, I fell in love in the library once upon a time. Our special guest today is Lindsay Shaw, and I should explain to our listeners before we get going is that this is a... What we call this series is The Undefinable Spirit, and it's a series of conversations with people in the community, in the region, people who have interesting things to say about life, people whose lives are kind of interesting and unique in certain ways. And so we get them to share their world, if you like, with all of us. And so today we have Lindsay Shaw, and Lindsay lives in Mulmer, and she is the head librarian at the Markdale Library, correct? My title is Digital Services and Branch Manager. Oh, okay. Digital Services and Branch Manager. Now, you say in your sort of preamble notes that you sent along to us, I'm paraphrasing, that library DNA is kind of in your blood. You've got other members (laughs) of your family involved in library science. What's up with this? How did you get involved in this in that way? And do you consider this kind of your quote-unquote calling? I do, but I would say that it hasn't always been. It was something that I fell into by accident as a profession. I've always, growing up, I've always used libraries, and libraries played a big, important role in my life because we moved around a lot, and my mom took us to story time here at the Aurora Public Library, and then we lived in a really small rural community in eastern Ontario that had a very small library that was in the basement of the local hockey arena. <laughs> oh, really? And uh, and so I have a lot of fond memories visiting libraries and using them as a customer. But it wasn't until much later that I sort of started thinking about it as a possible career. So as a teenager, I tried to volunteer at a local public library and I was turned away in a way that sometimes people react to teens in uh-huh. <laughs> not an overly friendly way. <laughs> And so I think my teenage brain interpreted that as this is a place that I can use, but it's not a place that will ever work. So how did you flip that and get connected in? Well, my mom was visiting a friend in the Blue Mountains, and there was an advertisement in the local Collingwood paper for summer students. And so she sort of suggested that I apply for the position. They were looking for someone to run teen programming. Mm -hmm. And I had had experience working with kids at camps um, and young teens. So she suggested I apply for the job and I did. And it was just a two month gig. So it was just for July and August to run the summer programs. Mm -hmm. But then the children's librarian was taking a maternity leave and they were happy with what I had done over the summer and asked me to stay. And so I decided to not go back to school right away and take them up on this opportunity because it can be really challenging to find experience in the field that Mm -hmm. you are interested in. So it seemed like a good decision 
But then when she came back from maternity leave, they wanted to keep me around. So I kind of just, and then the rest is history. And, and how many years have you been doing this now? So I started as a summer student in 2005. So it's been 13 years. Okay, wow. So here's the big question for you. Mm-hmm. How the heck do you engage and keep the interest of teens? It must be a major challenge, no? It wasn't at first. I think at the time I was second or third year university student. And so I was still quite close in age, really, to a lot of those teenagers. And I just thought about what I would have enjoyed or what I would have appreciated Mm -hmm. as someone who I also did sports, but I also was interested in reading and quieter activities or artistic activities. And so I just basically started using arts and culture as a vehicle to attract teens into the library. And then once we had them as a captive audience, then start to introduce them to the collection and get their feedback on how we could improve the collection. And do you have a specific example of something you used in the way of arts and culture that drew the teens in? Yeah, well, we were fortunate enough to have a grant that we applied for. And so we had a little bit of money to spend on supplies and experts to come in and do workshops. And so one of the workshops we did was a skateboard painting class. (laughs) So we bought the blank wooden decks and bought some paint. And then at the time, there was a couple of guys in Barrie that were painting like starting their own skateboard company and mm-hmm. doing designs. Mm. And so we had them come. And so they were able to show some of their work. And then the kids could put their sort of vision onto this blank palette and our blank canvas. Then we sort of explained if they wanted to, they could use it as a bookshelf because you could just throw <laughs> a couple of little brackets <laughs> underneath. Or if they wanted to throw on the hardware and turn it into a skateboard, there was possibilities that they could do with it afterwards. Or the alternative was we put little fixings on the back so that they could hang them on the wall. So it could just be a piece of art in their room. I would never in a million years have done something like that in libraries of my youth. (laughs) (laughs) Although I would have uh, the spectacle librarian saying, shh, quiet down. Yeah. In the world of virtually digital everything, Why do you think it's important for our communities to maintain a system of physical libraries? A lot of reasons. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that are downloading ebooks and listening to those on their devices. But we also have a large community of people who either may not have access to that technology Mm -hmm. for could be socioeconomic reasons or could be by choice. And also in some of these rural Ontario locations where I work, connectivity is still a big issue. issue, And so we do have quite a few people that come to the library to access our computers just because they don't have the ability at home to Mm -hmm. go online and participate, whether it's for purposes of voting or filing their taxes or to check their Facebook account. Mm-hmm. Now that's, um, sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think that that's something that often people forget is that technology is not at everyone's fingertips. 
<laughs> even if you are in a position to be able to purchase some of the tools, the skills that don't just come with the purchase. You exactly. still have to figure out how to use that stuff. And exactly. libraries have been playing a big role in helping to instruct. Okay, you, you referred to the rural setting. So we know the limitations mm-hmm. that are inherent there, as you said, uh, internet mm-hmm. connection speed and so on. But you yeah. also have a broader picture of the library system. So how do you think libraries are evolving to meet this rapid push of technological change in this internet era? Yeah, a lot of libraries have been doing a few different things. So one is to just maintain their equipment to make sure that we have or try our best to have the latest technology so that people can participate in the digital world. Mm. Another way is by there's a lot of libraries that are venturing into the makerspace territory. And so that is where you're not just a participant, you're actually becoming active. Mm-hmm. You're a creator uh, as well as a participant. Right, yeah. And then I think there's a lot of traditional or what are considered traditional activities or programs or interests that I don't think will ever die. If you ask any new grandparent when they go to sit down and read a book with their new grandchild, they're not going to pop open an ebook. <laughs> they're going to go to the library. <laughs> I can relate directly. And get physical. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, because there's something about the way that when you are sharing stories, that it is, it's a different experience when you're sort of in the present moment and holding something physical in your hands. And it's not just yeah. that. It's also that uh, I can tell you myself as a new grandparent in the last couple of years, I can tell you mm-hmm. that you also do not want to do that because <laughs> you're aware of the drawbacks of technology and you don't want to introduce right. a child to screens and computers, or at least I didn't at that early age. Yeah, yeah. There's a big push-pull happening where kids are, I think, feeling pressured, um, even sometimes related to the curriculum, like your keyboarding skills and your mouse skills. And, you know, you you get a report card back from your kindergarten teacher that says, well, they're a little bit behind in their mouse skills. (laughs) So so then you get really obsessed about not wanting your kid to fall behind in terms of technology, but also having a lot of recent science showing that there's a lot of positive sides to technology, but there can also be some drawbacks in the mm-hmm. way that they process information and the way that it can sort of like change the way that their brain processes information. And, yeah. And as you know, of course, you're well aware, libraries have evolved incredibly since mm-hmm. you know the 50s mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Um, if you were to sort of think 50 years into the future? I mean, do you have a sense for what libraries might look or feel like, what their role might be? The $1 million question (laughs) that a lot of libraries and library staff are asking themselves because there really has been this huge evolution that's been happening over the last little while that's been the biggest change to happen to libraries in a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I I think a lot of libraries are positioning themselves as community hubs and community builders. So they really are still providing some of those traditional Mm -hmm. um, services in terms of information and how to, I guess, decode all the wealth of information that's out there Mm -hmm. um, to curate it in a way so that 
people in the community can get assistance from their local library in assisting them. It's like technology. Great. Mm -hmm. I give you an iPad, an iPhone, I give you whatever, but if you don't know how to use it, yeah. It's not much use to you. So that's essentially what you're saying with the community center. Right. And even just providing spaces, too, for people to gather. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's through like a boardroom access, the often libraries are probably one of the less expensive options in your community. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to get together a group of people to help stop the local school from closing or to take some sort of action within your community or build something new like a book club or a quilt guild. Box, box. So what's your story? I don't know much about roller derby, honestly. I was afraid that if I make a wrong move, I would just cause everybody to fall. But one of my partners was like, if you fall, we all fall and that's okay. We got you. And right off the bat, like they want to support you and help you because eventually you're going to be skating with them. Eventually you'll be on the same team. So everyone wants to help each other. So there's always like this camaraderie, this sisterhood. Derby for a mom. It was a lot physically. I think it was a lot mentally, but at the end, it was very rewarding. To get to see the other moms who make time for themselves and and have this cool hobby. To get to see working women who make time for themselves. All of us had a day that we were like, oh God, no, this was horrible, I can't do it. All of us had a day where we were like, I'm in so much pain, like what am I doing to myself? And all of us loved it. Like ultimately I think there was something about it that all of us loved. I'm not the kind of person that like falls down and then gets back up again. I'm kind of I'm the kind of person that's just like, I'm I'm down, but this required me to fall and get back up and to praise me in my falling, to praise me in my failure, to fail big, which is something that I need to learn in general. It's, it's okay to fail big and you can always get back up and try again. You can try again as many times as you want. Don't let stereotypes or people dictate what you do. If you have a dream or if you have a goal or if you have a sport like Derby you want to do, then just do it. Box, box. What's really interesting about your life is that you became involved in something that seems really distant from the world of the library. Uh, <laughs> you became interested in women's roller derby. Do you care to elaborate a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've just recently retired in the last couple of years. I found out about a local roller derby league that was starting up in Alliston, Ontario. And for those people listening who are in Dufferin County, there is also a league that skates out of Orangeville. Mm. And I don't even know what attracted me to the sport in the beginning. It just sounded like, okay, I can throw on some roller skates and have a full contact experience. <laughs> like This kind of sounds like fun. <laughs> And and something risky that maybe I was trying to prove something uh-huh, to uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Elbows in the head doesn't sound like fun to me, but carry on. <laughs> and a nice switch well, we, from the intellectual pursuit, right? Well, this isn't the roller derby that uh, maybe you grew up with or that your your parents grew up with. So there are legal and illegal moves. Um, okay. The particular league that I was part of and the, the sport that's 
quickly growing across North America is a little bit different. So they've taken away some of the theatrical stuff and have really tried to bring it up to a legitimate sport. So they have been trying to get it into the Olympics for the last oh, um, cool. few years. And I'm hoping that maybe that will happen soon because it is a great spectator sport as well. It really made a comeback. As you mm-hmm. say, I used to watch the, the zany version of roller derby in the yeah. 70s and 80s with Skinny Mini and all skinny those mini, uh, teams. Yeah, you know? yeah, I remember <laughs> Skinny Mini, yeah. And it seems that the sport has made a comeback in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, mainly mm-hmm. thanks to women and women's leagues. Why women? Why did they do yeah. all this? Well, that's kind of how it started. The original concept back in the 60s and 70s, I think, was developed by a man, but then a lot of the league started splitting off. Mm -hmm. And then over the years, it started to change a little bit because the old roller derby style was played on a banked track. So you had to build Mm -hmm. something that was really expensive. Then this new form emerged, which was the flat track roller derby. So you can play anywhere there's a flat concrete surface. Mm -hmm. So out of old arenas that have been de-iced or in outdoor spaces as well. And there is also an emerging men's roller derby, and it's gaining quite a bit in popularity as well. So, <laughs> Did you find that people treated you differently when they found out you were involved in this sport? Mostly the reaction was surprise. <laughs> <laughs> you care because... to give your dimensions here on the, on the air? <laughs> you were a jammer and a blocker or something? Is that the two? Yeah. So there's sort of two main positions. You play defense and offense simultaneously. Mm. Right. And the jammer is the person who actually scores points for your team. <laughs> right. And there's lots of explanatory videos that you can watch on YouTube that will probably be much more succinct than I would be <laughs> over, <laughs> over the phone. But yeah, I was at the time probably about 130, 140 pounds. But honestly, it's one of those sports that a woman of any size can play. And there's benefits to both. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that I really loved about the sport is that I felt like it gave a much more accurate depiction of female body types than any other sport that Mm. I've ever witnessed. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Interesting. And so people were often just surprised just because there was a lot of stereotypes associated with any type of women's full contact sport and I don't have tattoos and I don't ride a motorcycle. (laughs) So I think I was sort of breaking some perceptions there, Uh but really there's people from every walk of life. We had nurses, we had librarians, we had professional motorcycle racers. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) By the way, what was your nickname? I know there's like all these nicknames that float around. They're they're funny. (laughs) I knew one, uh, Eleanor Rigamortis, I think I interviewed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. What was your nickname? So my nickname was Grim Gables. Grim um, Gables? Yeah. So I have red hair and freckles. And so I wanted to do a play on Anne of Green Gables. So it started off as Anne of Grim Gables, but that was really long. So I just shortened it to Grim Gables. It's very alliterative. It sounds nice. Yeah. 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 Which reminds you, here's a question. Was there any kind of cross-pollination between derby life and library life that you noted? Yeah. I think for me, participating with a group of women where everybody just brings different strengths 
I learned a lot about working with a team. Mm -hmm. And so it's not to say that there wasn't ever any drama. Like as soon as you get a group of people, regardless of gender, you know, 40 or 50 people, you're going to have differences of opinions and and things like that. But I learned a lot about how the different ways that you can appreciate people when you're sort of forced to work with a bunch of different people that you might not necessarily otherwise associate with. Yeah, you just took it out into the back alley, didn't you? And just sorted it out that way. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I mean, you kind of end up in life whether it's through your profession or your social life, you end up kind of sticking with the same group of people and it becomes harder and harder to expose yourself mm-hmm. to different ideas or people right. from different backgrounds. And through roller derby, it kind of pushes you into this group of people from a huge wide range of backgrounds who have all had their own successes and failures in life. And so it just really taught me a lot about working with different types of people and and giving people the opportunity to talk out what their concerns are. And sometimes is really what the most important thing is, is for just someone to have their voice heard. Yes. And that's one of the reasons why we do these podcasts, actually, yeah. uh, about voices being heard. Right. And one of the things that I know Harry was interested, but I was particularly keen on that part of your email when we first approached you where you described your interest and love of podcasts. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about that, where your interests lie, how you got that interest, and what is it about podcasts that you really enjoy, and is it something that you'd like to pursue? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't really remember how I got first introduced to podcasts, but I think it probably had to do with the fact that I was commuting through my job through the 13 years of working for libraries and Working with libraries, mm-hmm. um, I've always had a commute of about like 45 minutes or more. And so I used to listen to a lot of audiobooks, but then I kind of started running out of content to listen to. And it was really easy when I discovered podcasts. It was just at my fingertips. I didn't have to fuss around with discs mm-hmm. in my car and, and things like that. And so I listened to quite a range of content. I like a little bit of true crime and I like arts and culture and as well as the, I'm not really sure what you call them, but it's sort of like a full production. Yes, yeah, like serials. Yes. And so my uh, app is constantly full of new episodes to listen to, and I'm always looking for new content. And I listen to a few CBC podcasts as well, Mm -hmm. just because a lot of them are airing during working hours or things like that. So it allows me to be able to participate in some of those arts and culture and political discussions. Mm -hmm. I'd highly recommend BBC, too, if you haven't listened to any. Okay, yeah. yeah. North American versus European and other parts of the world, you'll find a very distinct style difference. Lindsay, what are you hoping to do with your podcast through your library? You're talking about starting that up. Yeah, this is more of a personal thing. I would really like to start a podcast. I think I have a general understanding of it, and I've been to a couple of discussions like at conferences about the production of podcasting Mm -hmm. and I know there's different styles where you sort of have like an unedited conversation that's an hour and a half two hours or you can have a more bite-sized content 
mm-hmm. that has been edited by the producers. But I would really like to explore a podcast that talks about some of the things that happen behind the scenes at mm-hmm. libraries. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of misunderstandings in the public about libraries and what librarians do. There's a lot of people that just think we sit at a desk and read all day. <laughs> Wish that yeah. sometimes that's what I was doing. So they're not aware of the of the arm wrestling tournaments and that sort of thing <laughs> yeah. that you guys engage yeah. in? But you yeah. had a major point there. That is one of the reasons why we began this exercise. At least that's why I approached Terry in the beginning with this whole idea. Because as you said, there's an opportunity to discuss things that you wouldn't otherwise discuss or you wouldn't otherwise hear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and because of the way that libraries have been evolving and changing over the last 15, 20 years, I think it's a great opportunity to sort of explore some of those areas. And it's, it would be entertaining, I think, for other library staff or people mm-hmm. who work in libraries to hear how different experiences across North America or Canada if I ever do create this podcast and if anyone listens to it. Sure. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But then also for people who use libraries as a customer or who don't like use libraries to kind of have some insight onto what happens on a day-to-day basis. And I'll put another point to you that by virtue of you doing the podcast, you will have instructed yourself on so many things. And mm-hmm. then you're in the environment whereby people are coming into the library yeah. and you can specifically explain things to them because a lot of the problems, as you said, they have the devices, they have the means, but they don't know how to access. They don't know what they are. They don't understand them fully. And by you doing that, you will learn all that. Yes. And I would say that that is often like a big motivator for me exploring things tech or digital related Mm -hmm. is because I like to know how things work Mm -hmm. so that if someone comes in and asks me, then I have at least the beginning of some tools and resources that I can share with them. Yes. So let me ask you, because you mentioned that you went ahead and listened to four or five of our podcasts, Mm -hmm. opinions, thoughts. Yes. (laughs) Oh, so when you guys are talking about technology and art and the intersection of the two, I really love that stuff. And I like what you're doing with the interviews, too. I find that really interesting. I think the one thing that I sort of, and it's not really a criticism, it's more just something that I think would enrich the podcast, is when you are sort of talking about some of those more popular topics that are emerging Mm -hmm. in our larger society it would be really great to listen to maybe one or two other voices as part of that Uh yeah we we thought that ourselves yeah and i could hear you actually exploring that (laughs) during the podcast the thing is the control part you see you've got limited time and resources yeah it's also an expense which we've taken on ourselves simply because we love to do it And that's what the large podcasting community is doing as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why we set up a donate button on our website. 
sometimes people will ask me or will ask us, how do you do this? How do you do that? And yeah, because there's a time and resource thing and we don't want to go to advertisers. We want to keep right. it simple and clean. So it was just a, an option that is offered to people if they want to take it up. Yeah. And I think too, like you were mentioning earlier on when we first started talking is the style of your podcast where you are genuinely having this conversation live while you're recording it. Mm-hmm. And so you don't always know what's going to come up in that conversation. No, we don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> I tell Harry all the time, I've saved myself thousands of dollars in psychiatric bills. <laughs> I'm only half joking when I say that, because like you said yeah. yourself, you delved into roller derby when you were mm-hmm. a librarian. Yeah. It's, that, it's that seek and explore and learning about yourself and testing the water, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. and I, I'm Peter's therapist here, yeah. and uh, he's driving me crazy. So it's it's really well balanced, you know. It's a Jew and an Italian. <laughs> Italian. Um, now, so libraries, roller derby, podcasts. Mm-hmm. What does the future hold? Yeah, what's what's next, next for What's next for Lindsay Shaw? <laughs> yeah. So there's actually a couple of leadership programs that are available to people who are working in libraries in the Ontario region. And so there's one that I'm looking at right now that's called the Advanced Public Library Leadership Program. Okay. And it's offered through the Southern Ontario Library Services, which is a geographical division of library services that helps to support libraries. So I think that that's my next step. Sounds good. <laughs> Lindsay, thanks for talking with us today. Uh-huh. If we can contribute to your podcast aspirations in any way, we'd be happy to. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks again, Lindsay. And, Thank you um, so much. We'll be in touch. Okay. Nice chatting with you both. Surrounded by stories serene and sublime, I fell in love in the library once upon a time. The Sill Podcast. Perspectives on Art and Technology is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.